0: Every work team has moments of conflict and dysfunction. Sometimes productive conflict is a necessary part of wrestling through big ideas to get to the best possible outcome, but sometimes our teams become mired in conflict that is entirely avoidable because it's based in vastly different communication styles or different motivations and misunderstandings. Enter the Enneagram. The Enneagram offers not only self-awareness, but also curiosity and deeper understanding of others. I teach the Enneagram and consult with teams to improve their communication styles, conflict effectiveness and self-leadership, all of which foster highly engaged and high-performing teams. During a recent team event, I heard over and over, this just makes so much sense when they looked around the room and saw who was fitting within each type. And now I know why this person asked so many questions. or. This depersonalizes some of the conflict we've been having because I can tell we're just coming from different perspectives. So now that we know where we are, we can see how we can get aligned. So if you're looking for ongoing support or simply considering an engaging introspective module for your team's offsite or event, let's talk reach out to the 9types team at hello at 9types.co or schedule a one-on-one consultation with me on my website, 9types.co. And now on to the show. Welcome to Ask an Enneagram Coach. I'm your host, Steph Baron-Hall. I'm a certified Enneagram Coach, creator of 9 Co on Instagram and author of the new book, The Enneagram in Love. Every other week, you can find me here answering all of your pressing Enneagram questions so that you can understand yourself more clearly and find new paths toward growth. Let's get started. All right, everyone. This week, I'm so excited because you might hear it now, but I got a new mic for podcasting, so I'm really excited about that. I think that it's just going to make everything feel a lot more professional and a lot more official, so that's really fun for me. I also wanted to start a new segment, so... A lot of you have submitted fun fact questions, and so I wanted to answer one or two every week. So this week, I'll start with what is your go-to coffee or tea order? My go-to coffee, if I'm at home, is just a cup of black coffee. My husband actually roasts coffee, so that's really fun, and he makes amazing coffee every morning, and I get to drink it, and I rarely make it. When it's not the morning, I typically go for an iced oat milk latte or an iced almond milk latte. So those are some of my favorite things. And then with tea, I actually have, it's actually an Enneagram tea that I created with a friend of mine. And I can put the link for this one in the show notes, but she made this amazing peppermint chamomile tea that I really, really love. So that is my favorite go-to tea. I drink it often, especially if I'm going to be a podcast guest. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I just get a little bit nervous when I'm going to be on somebody else's podcast or, or doing something for somebody else's project just because I want to you know, represent myself well, but I also want to do a good job for them until I get a little anxious. So that kind of helps me calm my nerves and I love the peppermint and chamomile flavor. This is not the sponsor thing or anything. I'm just telling you about it because I love it so much. So yeah, that's my favorite fun fact for the day. So for today's episode, I have five different questions and we are going to get through them. They Some of them are a little bit more in depth, but hopefully they'll be really insightful for you. Um, one of the things I get asked about a lot is mistyping. So what I mean by mistyping is when somebody thinks that they're one type for a while, but actually after more self-discovery and more learning, they realize they're actually a different type. So for example, someone who thinks, oh, I think I'm a two, but actually they're a four, um, that kind of thing. So I have a couple of those questions, which is great because I get those all the time. And I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of you. I will say there are 36 different mistyping possibilities. I've already talked about a few of them. I've talked about one and eight. I've also talked about, I talked briefly about two and nine in a previous episode. And I've also talked about one and six. So today we're going to talk about mistyping between seven and two. We're also going to talk about how type eights can be more aware of how their words impact others. Then we're gonna talk about the possibility to be different types in different spheres of your life. And then we're gonna talk about the difference between type six and type nine. So that's our second type of the episode. And then finally, we will wrap up with talking about the stress and growth arrows of the Enneagram. That's a really common question as well. And I think a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the mistyping and those types of things that we often talk about can actually be explained by understanding more about the stress and growth arrows. So that'll be really helpful. And we're gonna dive in straight away with this mistyping between two and seven. So here's the question. So I've noticed that as a seven, I have a lot of two-ish tendencies, like wanting to make sure everyone in the room feels like they're having a good time and just being obsessed about wanting everyone to feel cared for. Is there a reason why a seven would feel that way or have I mistyped myself as a two? I love this question. I think this is a great question. Twos and sevens get mistyped pretty frequently. Both twos and sevens share the same loving, open, and warm energy, and they can be enthusiastic and friendly, joyful, energetic, and always down to do anything as long as they're with the people they love. They both tend to be fairly expressive, positive, and conflict-avoidant to some measure. So both twos and sevens like to keep people happy around them and both desire to be helpful, but for different reasons. So again, with everything about the Enneagram, I know you're sick of hearing me say this. It's all about why. It's about the underlying motivation. What are the reasons behind the behavior? So twos help others because they believe that if others find them lovable, they will be loved and wanted. They really thrive when helping people and it's important for them to feel a deep connection with others. As members of the heart triad, twos are really focused on finding their identity and they mostly do this by increasing their lovability and helpfulness factor. They often get involved in others' lives, They dedicate themselves to meeting the needs of others and they like when others are dependent on them, especially when they're unhealthy. So unhealthy twos really thrive on others, not just loving and wanting them, but also depending on them. Sevens, on the other hand, really want others to be happy because it's really important that people around them stay positive. Sevens don't want to be trapped in emotional pain. So if people around them are unhappy, it makes them feel the need to escape and they'll float away to do something else. One of the ways sevens make others happy is by helping. That can be a really common way, especially, I will say, especially for women. Um, that That's a really common behavior to help others be more happy. For sevens, their mindset is that if they help others, they won't feel guilty taking what they need for themselves. In general, sevens don't get overly involved in people's lives. They are really good friends and really loyal friends too, but they just don't really enmesh themselves with others and they don't want others to depend on them with the exception of maybe their significant other and children. It's really important that sevens feel that they can maintain their independence or they will begin to feel stifled. And that, again, will just cause them to, to try to flee the situation. While both twos and sevens can be a bit emotional, it looks pretty different. So twos pick up on how those around them are feeling and they're highly empathetic and caring and they tend to feel really deeply. So when others around them are feeling upset, twos will kind of absorb some of that. Sevens, on the other hand, are less attached to their emotions and are quick to show certain emotions like joy and enthusiasm or frustration but they're less likely to show their deeper feelings like sadness. And like I mentioned before, when people around sevens are unhappy, the sevens flee. So that's, again, a difference. Rather than absorbing it, like twos, they, they tend to flee. Twos are more likely to be manipulative and may give to get, while sevens may be more prone to narcissistic behavior. So again, that's the really unhealthy side of them. Unhealthy twos give to get, and unhealthy sevens may be a bit narcissistic. As an example of the differences between helping behavior for these two types, let's imagine a person serving pie. This person carefully serves up a slice for each person in the room and makes sure they are all happily enjoying it before they get their own slice. In this scenario, if a seven is serving, the unconscious motivation may be, I'll offer up everyone else a slice of pie first, so I don't feel guilty taking two slices. If a two is serving, the unconscious motivation may be, Everyone must be feeling so loved right now. I'm the one that made them feel loved. Therefore, I am lovable. You can see the difference in these motivations. So neither is better or worse, they're just different. So if you are trying to determine if you are a really helpful seven or if you're a two, this distinction might be really helpful for you. Again, think about you know the core motivation, of course. So are you motivated by the need to be loved by others and, and for others to find you lovable, which is type two? Or are you motivated by the need to be free and to be free to feel happy and to um, kind of chase down new opportunities and have your freedom? So pay attention to those motivations and also pay attention to why. Why are you doing the behavior you're doing? What is underneath it for you? Do you like it when other people depend on you or does that make your skin crawl? So those two things are really, really important and will really help you differentiate. All right, let's move on to the next question for today. How can eight learn to be more aware of how their words affect others? This question is a little tough because this person didn't tell me if they are an eight or if their loved one is an eight, so I'll answer from both perspectives. First off, if you are an eight and you wanna be more aware of how your words impact others, I definitely recommend getting more in tune with your emotions. This can be really, really hard, but eights, along with threes and sevens, tend to repress their feelings. They often don't acknowledge them, process them, or truly feel them until something causes them to stop and listen to them. They may often think their feels, but they don't really feel their feels, if you know what I mean. And if you're one of these types, three, seven, eight, or even one and five, those types tend to really think their feelings rather than feeling their feelings. And so you might not even know the distinction yet, but start to try to pay attention to that. When are you thinking your feelings rather than feeling them? So back to the question, if you are an eight and you have notice or gotten feedback that your words have unintended negative effects on those around you, first off, well done um, for noticing and acknowledging. That takes a huge amount of self-awareness to listen to that type of feedback, internalize it, and then ask this question. So you may have already begun what I'm going to suggest, but I think it's so important for the feeling repressed types, again, three, seven, and eight, to process their feelings. When you have a deep understanding of your feelings, you'll be able to start understanding what's underneath your anger. The more you process that, the less likely it will be on a hair trigger. Not that you'll never feel angry, but doing that inner work will really help you feel more balanced, integrated, and more able to pause before reacting. You have to be able to process the feelings underneath anger to get there. You'll also have a lot more awareness around the feelings of other people when you're talking with them because you'll have the awareness of your own feelings. Growing in empathy in that way is crucial. You might also find that increasing your self awareness will help you to say, what you mean in a way that isn't so forceful, the self-protective nature of an eight will always be there. but when you start to realize that forceful words aren't necessary for your own protection, the words may lose their edge or the tone may lose the edge a little bit. So that's really, really helpful to to really just get in touch with your feelings, whether it's through journaling, meditation. I know so many of these types three seven and eight really don't like journaling but I think it's super important. Um, I think we all kind of need to do it and we'll all benefit from it so, really important to start that and to journal through your feelings. So second part of the question, on the other hand, if you're asking this question from the perspective of someone who loves an eight, I have a few suggestions. So first off, if if an eight is hurting your feelings regularly um, and not realizing how their words are impacting you, just be straight with them. Don't make them guess about it. Let them know that their words are having an impact on you and the way it made you feel. They might have a strong reaction to that initially, but I think that eights deeply care about their close loved ones. So once they think about it, they'll understand and work on it. I know it seems a little bit scary because you're not sure how they'll react, but I I think it's important to kind of assume the best in in this scenario. Second, what is your part in this? And I'm not saying that you're at fault if you're being hurt by someone else, but I am saying that sometimes we make assumptions about what others mean or about what others feel. So are you projecting something? Are you taking offense as if they are angry when they're just being passionate? Are you misunderstanding? AIDS expect those around them to take care of their own feelings and emotions. So it's kind of think, I'll take care of me. You take care of you if you're feeling this way, make sure you're attending to what you need to. Don't just put it all on the eight to fix their behavior. Fix, meaning sometimes that ends up to an eight, feeling like you're trying to control their behavior. So make sure you're owning your part of it as well. Um, If an eight is continually just being mean to you, maybe that's not so much about their Enneagram type. Maybe it's more about that they're not a kind person and it's not because they're an eight. So don't just excuse bad behavior based on Enneagram type and don't assume bad behavior based on Enneagram type. So that's really important to, to note to kind of differentiate between what is just an eight being direct and what is somebody being actually just kind of being a jerk. So that's important to note. Alright, so we have two questions down, three to go, and I am going to take a quick break to talk with you a little bit about something that I'm really excited to share with you. Are you serious about saving or improving your relationship? Today, I'd love to share Regain Couples and Marriage Counseling with you. Using this online tool, you can get professional counseling from a licensed therapist, specifically designed to help you thrive in your relationships. When you visit Regain.us, you can choose between individual and couples counseling to get started. In my personal experience, both individual and couples therapy have been super valuable for me to gain the tools, self-understanding, and personal support I need to be my best in my relationship. I love that Regain.us offers therapy online so you can have access to your counselor anytime, anywhere. I'm so grateful to all of you who listen to the podcast. And if you're interested in this offer, I would really love it if you would use the link in the notes for this show to book. As a BetterHelp affiliate, I may earn from qualifying bookings. So if you're already interested in therapy, using my link to book is an amazing way to support Ask an Enneagram Coach. All right, back to the show. So this next question is really quick. The question is, is it possible to be one type in your personal life and another type in your professional life? And I will just say, nope, it's not. Your core motivation is the same in either place because it's integrated in who you are as a full human. But you might see yourself leaning on a different wing at work versus at home, which can really change how you show up. And you might relate more with a stress or growth arrow at work versus at home. I get this question so much that I'm actually going to explain stress and growth arrows later in the podcast, Um, just because I want you to understand that. But it is pretty common for people to feel like their stress arrow shows up a lot at work or their growth arrow shows up a lot at home. So keep that in mind that you're not switching types between those places, but Maybe there are some things about your behavior where it's it's learned behavior, for example. Maybe in your personal life, it's not super important to be organized, but you always clean your desk every single day at work because you know that makes you the most successful in your day. Or maybe it's something else. Like you tend to be more reserved at work, whereas at home you're more silly and open and free. So those types of things aren't necessarily related to shifting types. It's more about maybe feeling more comfortable at home than you do at work or maybe feeling more stressed at work than you do at home, vice versa. So we're going to go ahead and move on to the next question and then I'll kind of pop back and, and call back to that when we get to stress and growth arrows. And the reason that I put them in this order is that this next question relates to the same thing. So we're all kind of throughout this podcast, really building to the stress and growth arrow portion of the show. So this question is, what is the difference between type six and type nine? So this is another really common mistype. And it's really interesting to me because I find sixes and nines to be so different, but it happens a lot. Sixes and nines both like feeling connected to community and they're both focused on keeping things as they are in some sense or another. They tend to desire positive outcomes with others and they tend to be indecisive and have a hard time trusting themselves. They like to really process and think through things, which can make both seem like they aren't able to make their own choices. On that note, I think both sixes and nines tend to have a bit of stubbornness. So even though they might seem like they can't make their own choices, I definitely don't recommend trying to push them into making your choices because that's not gonna go over well for anyone. There are also some significant differences between these two types that are notable and clarifying. First of all, sixes and nines tend to have different outer dispositions. Sixes generally seem a lot more energetic and they are more engaged in the world around them. Nines are more detached and let their thoughts and feelings pass without always verbalizing them often descriptions of these two types can make them seem really, really similar. If you just read a list of traits, like a lot of the things that I post on Instagram, it's just a list of traits. It's not necessarily always about the core motivation, especially if we're talking about something like how do they feel valued or what is their communication style? And both of these types can actually be really difficult to pin down. So there are some types where most people within that Enneagram type kind of seem pretty similar. But both six and nine, there's just a wide variety of people who are in that type. So it can make it a little bit more difficult to really concisely um, talk about what that type looks like. So first let's talk about sixes. Sixes are motivated by the need to have safety and security. They most often do this by planning, but this doesn't necessarily mean they get their calendar out and plan through their week. It's more like they have a running list of potential threats and plans to mitigate them running in the back of their minds. So these threats could be to their physical safety, like, I don't know, having a first aid kit on hand or or knowing where the fire extinguishers are. And I think that's the most common way we categorize them, but they can also have to do with a bunch of other things that aren't as stereotypical. For example, things going wrong at work, a new project falling apart if it's not fully thought out, losing security in some way such as financial or relational security, etc. So it's not really pessimism, it's just making sure they are feeling prepared for anything that might happen. On a positive side, they actually are prepared and they may even feel prepared at times, but it's not uncommon for sixes to continue to second guess themselves and their own preparation. In conflict, sixes can tend to be reactive and don't typically attempt to mask how they feel. So that's really different from nines. Unhealthy sixes get really trapped in their minds and spiral through what ifs. So that's another thing to note. And I've said this a million times before, but if you can't figure out what type you are, look at the unhealthy aspects of the type so moving on to nines nines are motivated by the need to have internal and external peace so often what this means is that they create a world that keeps the outside world of others opinions and expectations anything negative anger things that feel unsettled conflict etc all of that out and they also keep the inside world in meaning that they keep their thoughts opinions feelings perspective ideas all of that in If the outside and inside world mingle, conflict often arises because as humans, it's impossible to get through life and have everything aligned with our own ideas. So that's just natural about being humans, and that's what nines are trying to avoid. So it's as if nines believe that they can get through life in a peaceful and comfortable way only if they either don't feel or don't give voice to their own perspective, They tend to be a lot more easygoing and less reactive and more agreeable than sixes, and this positive outlook might seem like a good thing, but it's actually a real challenge for a lot of nines because it leads them to not showing up fully in their lives. In conflict, nines tend to try to stay positive so that the hard things about the conflict, like the disruption of their peace, can't touch them. Unhealthy nines use coping mechanisms to numb out so they don't feel unease. That's really important to note too. It's the the behaviors are very different. So sixes definitely have more of a tendency to kind of spiral and think and think and think and think when things aren't going well or not going their way. Whereas nines tend to kind of just numb themselves so that they don't have to really think about it. The other reason that these two get confused is because they share a line. So they share this thing where where nines, when they're stressed, they look a little bit more like six. And when sixes when they're feeling secure and safe, they look a little bit more like nines. And so that's really important to note because that's what we're about to talk about next with the growth and stress arrows, so keep that in mind. Um, But if you are debating if you're a six or a nine and you still can't figure it out after this little description, be sure to ask yourself why. Just constantly ask yourself why. What is underneath your behaviors? If you lean towards six, but notice yourself keeping the peace, What is really happening underneath for you? Keep digging. Don't expect that finding your Enneagram type will be quick or easy, but it's definitely worth it. I I definitely think it takes a lot more self-discovery than we typically expect. Also, you might want to look at your family of origin. So the family that you grew up in, what were their conflict styles like? Were they anxious? Things like that. Paying attention to those things is really, really important and valuable because sometimes we have certain behaviors, not specifically because of our Enneagram type, but because of how we grew up. So pay attention to those things because sometimes you might see both mingling in your type. Maybe you're a six, but growing up, it was never okay to be in conflict. And so you have that conflict avoidance tendency, but deep down, what you really want is the safety and security. So that's just a brief example, but keep that in mind. Keep Keep thinking about it. Keep asking yourself and, and staying curious and um, nonjudgmental towards yourself as you consider it. All right, moving on to our last question of the day. And this one I think will be a bit of a longer answer because it goes into all nine types. So This question is, can you explain growth and stress arrows? And one of the things I get asked a lot about this is like, is it like when you're unhealthy, you go to your stress arrow. And when you're healthy, you go to your growth arrow. And that's actually not exactly how it works. So this actually is going to be from a blog post that I did, and I'll put the link so you can read it, and, and you can just get the transcript of this um, in the show notes. But basically, there is a difference between the stress and security types and the levels of development. So the levels of development theory was developed by Don Richard Risso and Russ Hudson, who created the en- Enneagram Institute, and also wrote some really great Enneagram books. One of my favorites is the Wisdom of the Enneagram, but they also wrote Personality Types, and that's a great book as well. And they developed this theory to help individuals understand their personal health and how to actually grow in their type. So there are nine levels total, but the levels of development are actually commonly depicted in three terms, meaning healthy, average, and unhealthy. The levels are somewhat broad, and most people fall in the center on a given day. So they kind of are in that average space. These levels are often consistent throughout seasons and don't really change day to day. Growth or deterioration is slow and really happens over time. And I actually did a whole podcast, not a whole episode, but I did answer a question about how to grow in one of the very first episodes. And so make sure you go back and listen to that if you have more questions about how to actually grow. All types can range from very healthy to very unhealthy and the stress and security arrows are different. So these are more situational. So while a person might be in average levels in their level of development, a moment of stress can cause them to tap into characteristics of their stress type. Sometimes people do stay in their stress number for long periods of time, such as during this current crisis, the global pandemic. Um, And when tapping into a stress or security number, the level of development tends to stay the same. For example, a healthy nine would tap into healthy six energy, or an average nine would tap into average six energy. So what's going on will dictate which direction they go with the stress and security arrows, but the level of development across them will stay the same generally. So when thinking about growth, I find that often the biggest strides forward come from moments of stress. So I tend to call the growth number security because it's actually what we tap into when feeling secure. Security can refer to either the sense of being secure in who we are and being in a good place or the sense of feeling like we can let go of our personality mask, like when we're at home or with our few closest loved ones. In either case, we can all tap into both the positive and the negative aspects of the stress and security numbers. So as I go through this, I'm actually going to talk about what each type kind of looks like when they are in that growth space or that security space, both in a positive way and in a negative way, as well as tapping into the positive side of the stress arrow and the negative side of the stress arrow. So keep that in mind because maybe you're in a really good space in your core type and you are like, okay, I am stressed though. So I'm going to tap into the really good, positive, healthy aspect of my stress arrow. So that's really important to, to note. And I think Suzanne Stabil says this. So if you're not familiar with Suzanne Stabil, she co-wrote the book, The Road Back to You, which is one of everyone's favorite Enneagram books. It's, uh, it's really kind of, a just a brief overview book. She co-wrote that with Ian Morgan Cron. She also wrote a book called The Path Between Us. And then she also has an excellent podcast that I highly recommend if you can't figure out your type. Um, It's called The Enneagram Journey. And the reason I love it is because she has long form interviews with all the different types. And so that's a really great way to kind of narrow down your type if you're not sure. So anyway, Suzanne Stabile says you can't protect yourself without your stress number. It is just necessary. And I'll actually link to another post about this that I did on Instagram that talks about kind of we all need to grab something from our stress number to actually grow and to move forward. Your stress number is not necessarily a bad thing. Like sometimes we really, really need it and that is totally okay. So keep that in mind as we go. We're going to start today with type 1. When ones are moving toward growth or uh, security, they take on characteristics of type seven. So on the positive side, that looks like they become more open and self-forgiving and they really pay attention to the good in the world. On the negative side, and this this one shows up especially in their family or significant others or uh, close friends, they feel restless and driven to excess and they have a tendency to overdo anything and everything. And then for stress, when when ones are feeling stressed on the positive side, they see and accept more gray area, they tap into creativity, and they really loosen the reins on control. And then more on the negative side, they tend to internalize anger even further and lose self-esteem, believing that they're unlovable. So that's kind of where their inner critic goes into overdrive in the negative side of, of type four when they're really stressed. Moving on to type twos, type twos and in growth and security take on characteristics of type four, which means they acknowledge their range of feelings and express them well, and they really can tap into self-care. And on the negative side, they actually can withdraw and become overcome with envy or possessiveness. Um, that's kind of the negative aspect of that growth or security number for type two. And then when they're stressed on the positive side, this is actually where kind of, as I was talking about with Suzanne Stabile, she really talks about, um, That positive aspect of the stress number. And when type twos tap into that, they are able to access the positive aspects of type eight. And they say no to what is not theirs to do and they set boundaries to protect themselves and their time. So that's super important for twos. And then on the negative side, they become more demanding about their needs being met. So they get some of that eight energy and they might feel like people are trying to control them. So that's twos moving to eight in stress. Type threes in growth and security look more like type six. On the positive side, that means they commit to where they are and don't feel the need to jump to the next thing or, or the next success or chase a promotion, something like that. And on the negative side, they can become highly anxious and indecisive. And again, that might show up most in their familial relationships. And then when threes are feeling a lot of stress, then you'll see them tap into more of type nine. So, on the positive side, that could mean that they pause and gather all information before moving forward and they really get consensus before they try to charge ahead. But on the negative side, that could look like they become aimless, apathetic, tired, and really neglect their own well being. So, that's kind of where the type nine stress is challenging because I think threes especially tend to really go into overdrive. They have that tendency when they're stressed to kind of go into overdrive. And when that doesn't work, they just kind of veg out and kind of numb everything. So that would be the, the lower aspect of type nine. Type fours tap into growth and security in type one. And on the positive side, that means they apply themselves to their dreams and find the discipline they need to get things done. So they always have big dreams, but accessing that type one energy really allows them to buckle down and do the things that they need to do to get the stuff done that makes their dreams happen. And then on the negative side of type one would be they become exacting, overly rigid, and judgmental. So that's more challenging and less typical for behavior. When fours are stressed, they might access type two, which on the positive side means they become more focused on others and find fulfillment in helping those around them. But on the negative side, it means they might rely fully on others to meet their needs and become dependent and or jealous of others. And they really can tend to play the victim when they're in that really deep negative side of stress. Type fives, or when they're moving in growth and security, move and look more like type eight. And this is kind of an interesting move, but on the positive side, it really means that they find their power and feel emboldened to speak up and assert their ideas. And that's, that's really positive and really helpful for fives. On the negative side, it means that they can become really stubborn and dig in their heels, which is obviously a challenge. And then in stress, fives look more like type seven, which means they take on characteristics um, on the positive side and that they become more open to ideas and tap into the idea that energy is always available to them. But on the negative side, it could mean that they become scattered, distractible, and disconnected. And I want to mention something here. You might have noticed this already. I'm a little bit over halfway through, obviously. So when we've talked about wings before, we've kind of talked about how there's the core type and then the types on either side of the core type kind of look opposite. And that's kind of interesting. The same is true for the growth and stress arrows. You'll notice that sometimes when a type is moving in these different arrows, um, they'll access something that feels really opposite of their natural energy. And I think that's actually kind of one of the interesting and actually like really valuable balancing acts of the Enneagram is that because we're seeking to have balance and integration in, in all things as we grow, there are all these mechanisms within it that kind of offer each person a little bit more balanced. So we're not so one sided. There's always these movement points and these different things that offer balance. Also, I will say that the word movement points actually comes from a friend of mine, Amanda Seed, and she teaches really brilliantly on this topic. So I'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But the term movement points comes from her work. All right, let's go to type six. Their growth and security arrow is toward type nine. So that means on the positive side, they see various sides to everything, but in a way that brings peace and freedom, not in a way that brings like extra anxiety and more things to think about and plan about. And then on the negative side, it could mean that they see nothing beyond the status quo and kind of become highly avoidant and, and kind of shelter themselves from the inner and outer world like we talked about with nines earlier. And then when sixes are stressed, they tap into type three energy. So that means they find confidence and self-assurance to move forward without second guessing on the positive side. And then on the negative side, it means that they can become so focused on productivity that they begin to spin out. So you might notice that sixes often, when they're really stressed, they might try to think more and think harder and that actually causes them to spin out in their minds a little bit. And that's kind of some of that three energy. So type sevens, their growth and security movement is toward type five. So in the positive side of that, they find stillness gratifying and become more thoughtful and self-reflective. So they're more okay with being still and and a little bit quieter and, and practicing solitude, but on the negative side, it actually means that they could avoid responsibilities and become more focused on mental stimulation. So that's the negative side of that movement. When they're stressed, sevens take on more characteristics of type one. They become more focused and aware of others and make thoughtful decisions on the positive side, but then on the negative side, they could get more judgmental or perfectionistic and insist that they have the only answer. So that's taking on that lower one energy type eights, when they are in growth or security, they take on more characteristics of type two. So they're really okay with showing their gentler side um, on the more positive side, and they're more open to connecting. And then on the negative side of type two, they take offense easily and have really unrealistic expectations. So that's obviously really challenging because it's not so much that they take offense necessarily at everything, but they feel kind of an offense when they kind of sense that others are trying to control them. And that's what really upsets them. When eights are Moving in stress, they move more like type five. So, they on the positive side, they can cautiously evaluate before responding and really exert less energy. And they can actively choose something that is like solitude to recharge, would be really helpful. And then, on the negative side of type five, eights might isolate themselves in an unhelpful way, forget about their own physical well being, and really withdraw in a way that just isn't really good for them. And then type nine, when they're feeling great and in security and growth, they might move more toward type three and they'll take on an active role in their lives and exude more confidence, value, and charisma. And that's just a really positive aspect of of that movement point. But then on the negative side, they might become overwhelmed by the projects they said yes to or worry about what others will think. So that's challenging. And then in stress, nines take on more six characteristics, meaning on the positive side, they might become more energetic and feel like they are responsible for others but in a really good way because you might remember that nines often don't like the expectations or pressures from others but when they take on some sixth energy they might actually respond well to to taking care of others and being responsible for others and then the negative side of that is that they could become overwhelmed with deep anxiety so they become indecisive and reactive so that could be really hard obviously Another thing I wanted to mention is I mentioned my friend Amanda Seed earlier. So she actually created this really awesome program and this isn't like a sponsored ad or anything, but I just thought I would mention it because I have started calling the Stress and Growth Arrows movement points because I think that it just kind of succinctly describes them. And I first learned that from Amanda. And when I was getting my Enneagram certification, Amanda went through that same process, the same program um, a little bit before I did, but she was holding these group coaching classes. So I took one of her courses. And then actually last year, 2019, I was in a group, a, a year-long group coaching group, for lack of a better word, with like led by Amanda, where she would teach Enneagram theories or or other things like that. And then we would have homework. And yeah, we really had time set aside for our group to process them together each month. And it was really awesome, really valuable. She's not doing that anymore. But she did recently release one of the other classes that I took from her And it's like four or five hours of Enneagram teaching. And it just is really, really in-depth and really thoughtfully done. So I definitely recommend it. If you are looking for more Enneagram knowledge, I will put the link to her course in the show notes too. It's just really, really well done. So I definitely recommend it. Shout out to Amanda for coining the term movement points, which I've now used and didn't realize was from her work. So um, until she reminded me like, oh, I made that up. So yeah, that's a really cool, cool addition to the Enneagram thought processes. So, that is it for today. Those are all of the questions that we um that I had sent in for today. So, five questions total. I hope you found it really valuable and really helpful. I'm interested in hearing your questions. I'm going to start opening up not opening the phone lines, but I I would really love it if we could have audio recordings of questions. So, in the future, if you would like to submit a question, you can send your question. Please be succinct if you can. Um, but Tell me your first name and where you're located and then give your question in a voice memo and email it to me at hello at 9 and I will play it on the podcast, and then I'll answer it too. So be sure to send your name, location, and your question, and then email that to hello at ninetypes.co in the form of a voice memo. I love hearing people's voices when they ask questions. I think there's a lot that comes from that. So um, I'm really excited for that. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you again in a couple weeks here. So if you like the show, please send a rating and review those are so powerful and valuable to help other people find the show and then again if you are interested in the offer that i mentioned today from regain.us which is for online therapy for individuals and couples go ahead and check that out it's in the show notes link there and yeah i hope you really enjoy it so talk with you soon